We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome to the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is Friday free-for-all mailbag where we let the listeners, you all in the chat right now with us on YouTube, lead the, lead the uh, conversations and ask as many questions as possible. Literally, before we started, we had 22 questions that were already starred. So this is our favorite show of the week. And uh, I mean, man, I'm just looking at some of these questions er- earlier, Brian. Like, this is going to be a fun show, man. We had yes. topics football related notre dame related we got questions about tacos tommy wants to know about aliens like we're, there's a lot of questions gonna talk show. about in this show it's <laughs> a lot of show a lot of great questions though in the chat man we appreciate you all so much uh yeah. brian roberts brian driscoll of course irishbreakdown.com and i'm just ready to get into it man we are in yeah. like the weird time of the year where it's like no football we're just getting ready for the season now and you know there's a lot of official visits that are coming in june but like it's just coaches on the road right now and everyone just anticipating the football season so i mean brian if you're ready man i'm ready yes so. let's do it and i want to start off ryan we're yes. gonna have you read most of the questions but i'm actually yep. gonna i'm gonna pull one up that i'm gonna start off and read first because it's a draft question and i'm very curious to hear your answer quinn kimbler asks would any of our players notre dame players have been drafted higher if they left last year mainly focusing on isaiah foskey and and uh, Jarrett patterson and was brandon joseph eligible so like leaving from northwestern yes brandon joseph was eligible i will say this brandon joseph would have gotten drafted i think he would have gotten drafted last year if he would have left from northwestern because he did have wasn't as good a season as what he had in 2020 but it was still a much more productive year and then this last year with notre dame there was questions obviously about why you're sitting out injuries not minimal impacts except for a couple football games so I definitely think Brandon Joseph would have been drafted higher. Quinn, it's very interesting. The only player that I would say maybe, because I, I think I think Isaiah Foskey last year would also been an early second round pick or somewhere in the second round. So I don't think he would have been drafted much higher. Michael Mayer was always going to be pigeonholed as a, you know, he wasn't even eligible last year. So it's right. kind of a moot point. But I mean, he would have been pigeonholed as a, unathletic tight ends and blah 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 like that that stuff would have still happened last year or I, next year or whenever he ends up coming out you know so 
It's just the outside perception would have stayed the same. I think the one player that may have went higher outside of Brandon Joseph is, I think Patterson could have went a little bit higher last year, just because I, I think last year's class was also a little bit smaller. So like we're talking about the, the law of averages, right? Less players in a draft pool, more likely that you're going to get drafted a little bit higher. Like that's just kind of what the averages tell me. And I think that Jared, didn't have a great year in 2022. He would have, you would have just came off the 2021 season where like you're playing good football at center. You got injured a little bit, but you're still going to be able to work through it. And then you had the other injury, obviously this year for Jared Patterson as well. So I think just the continued durability question marks, a little bit of a, you know, average year, I guess is a way to put it for Jared Patterson. Like he wasn't bad this past year, but he wasn't great either. Like he was just fine, you know, playing guard this year. So I actually think that he maybe would have went, Couple rounds higher, you know, maybe fourth round instead of sixth round. Like yeah. that's possible. But that's really the only one that I look at and say, like, yeah, he probably would have went a little bit higher last year. And he'd had one less year of injuries. That's the other thing. Cause I think 2021 was really his only healthiest year that he had of his career and where he stayed healthy all year. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mayor's Mayor's an interesting one because I actually do think if he was eligible last year, he'd have gone higher because I think there'd have been less time to pick him apart. Like Dalton Kincaid. Like to me, I, I look at Dalton Kincaid and I say if they had a whole nother season of film on him, they'd have picked him apart even worse than they would have Michael Mayer because he's not as good of a player as Michael Mayer. Sure. Because one it, we see this all the time, right? The longer a guy is a draft a high-level draft prospect, the more they pick his game apart and, and just find can reasons to convince themselves. Because they're humans like us, and and they're not infallible, and they're not, you know, I mean, we see it all the time. How else do you convince yourself to make some of the decisions that people make in the NFL draft, right? It's because they've talked themselves into something or out of something. And I did hear that the Raiders, I did read yesterday, I think it was Peter King said that the Raiders contemplate, that they tried to dra- trade back into the first round to get Michael Mayer. Yeah. And my response is that was a great thing for Michael Mayer, that yes. it didn't happen. And I know some people won't agree with that, but he only fell four or five spots from where the Raiders would have traded up to get him. But now, 
there's no potential for him them to pick up that fifth year option. So he's definitely going to get to his final year a year earlier because basically first round draft picks, Ryan, correct? Like right now, they're making decisions on like that Chase Young, Jerry Judy, you know, class of whether they're going to pick up fifth year options, right? Yes. Okay. And so they can either accept them or decline them. Well, if they, if they accept it, then you're basically under contract for five years. And so you're not really going into your contract year until year five, where now Michael Mayer is going to a year early. So after year three, he's basically saying, hey, if you want to keep me long term, you better sign me now. Right. So if he's as good as he thinks he's going to be. And I think he's going to be. Then he's going to get to his second contract a year faster. Then he's he's only going to be 25 when he gets there because he's only right. 21 years old. Right. So, yeah. So that right there, to me, I always say, if you're going to be picked like 28 or I'd just say it's, I'd rather just kind of go 32 or 33 in this year's draft than 31 because of that right there. As long, especially if you're going to a place that you think is a good fit. And, you know, I, I have a lot of issues with Josh McDaniels, but one thing Josh McDaniels has always been pretty good with is getting tight ends involved in the offense. And, and obviously Jimmy Garoppolo has always been someone that likes throwing to the tight end. So he's going to the right place. And of course they just got rid of Darren Waller. So I, yep. I, I just, that, and that's just my, my draft criticism, Ryan, you're looking at it. You're looking at it analytically, practically. I'm just looking at it conspiratorially. You know what I mean? Like that's just, the, that's the way I look at it. I just feel like one less year of picking him apart would have, would have, uh, you know, I think helped his helped his draft stock a little bit. Foskey's the interesting one. I, that would be really fascinating to me. But wasn't yeah. last year's edge class like loaded? If yeah, I was. remember correctly, yeah, it was a little overrated at the top, but it was it was a deep class. I mean, this year was pretty deep as, as well. So I mean, I feel like edge classes have just been consistently like deep, deep edge class, and almost every year receiver. This year yes. it wasn't a great top top of the board receiver class, but it was deep. Yeah, it was still pretty had some, deep. Had some depth to it. Yeah, yeah. Why, I mean the. Pr- Previous three years before this wide receiver class, though, were like historical classes, like pretty much back to back. Every to year, back. It's like, like this it is the nuts. best receiver class since uh, last year. And then, I, I mean, if you think like about it, we've li- over like the last three years, we've literally gotten Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell. Like, it's just been wild, man. Literally, Justin Jefferson set the rookie receiving record, and that was broken the next year by Jamar Chase, which is just, yeah, to put it into context, how crazy the wide receiver classes have been over the last three years. It's been yeah, pretty insane. I mean, yeah, I think, I, I mean, I think Foskey is the one for me, Brian, that would have just been like about the same either mm-hmm. way, you know, like he would have went yeah. early second round probably last year as well. Like that's just where he is, right? Because he's a incredibly traitsy player, but you you know that there's still work that needs to be done from a technical perspective. So that you're always going to gamble an early second round pick on that type of player. You typically I, anyway. I think for me, Ryan, the only thing that would have worked in Foskey's advantage to his advantage would have been the fact that his film was better last year than it was this year. You know, but think about who he would have been competing against with his one year of film last year. I mean, you have Aiden Hutchinson, you have Kmon Thibodeau, you had uh you had uh Jermaine Trayvon Johnson, Walker. who was coming off a great year. George Korloftis was coming off a couple great years. You know, yes. I mean, you, you, so to your point, I, I think he would have fallen around kind of where he did. And there were some other yep. positions that were pretty like O-line class last year was really good. Yep. And so there was a lot more offensive linemen taken last year than this year. I'm, I'm looking at it now. I think it was something like seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight nine offensive linemen taken last year. What was there, like five this year, four or five this year? Uh, And then also receiver, there was four, five, six, 
six receivers taken in the in the first round too so that's part of it too it's not always just is your position group deep but is are there other years that just have a ton of first round graded players at another position that might be a premium position that might cause you to bump down too especially if you're in a year where there's a deep draft class so those are always the fun fascinating aspects of of looking at, at at drafts is like well this guy went 21 this year but let's be honest if he was in last year's draft he's going 12 or 40 depending on which way you go yeah, because drafts cra- are different. Cra- craziest part is that this year's draft wasn't very strong at all, especially at the top. Yeah. Like there was like a historically low amount of first round what picks. Was your, what was your grade? Yeah, it's like thir- you I, only had thirteen four- first round grades. I think I had fourteen or something like that. Yeah, and I, I saw a report that I think it was on average most NFL teams had like thirteen point seven or something like that when you mm-hmm. averaged it out between everybody. So yeah, man, it was. Uh, it was a little bit of a light year, to say the least. It was a little bit light. So that's why, I, honestly, that's why I was surprised that Michael Mayer didn't go in the first round, mostly because it was just a light year up top, you know? Like, I felt like some, you were just going to be like, yeah, I'll take a really good football player at the end of the first round because it's not a lot of top, it's not a top-heavy draft. But we are where we are, and we just move forward now, obviously. That's right. So. Question from John A1. One of the, uh, John, we were joking before the show. I said we could just make this the John A1 podcast. We're, we're going to have that. that was, we're going to have a John A1 Tommy Guns podcast one of these days where we only read questions from Tommy and John A1. It'd probably still be a three hour long show. Oh, man. Some of Tommy's questions go off the rails, though, man. I don't I don't know if he would. Well, John's got these really like technical, like well thought out yes. questions. And then Tommy just comes from like right field with like the who wins a fight, you know, gorilla or, a, you know, and it's like we got one. And actually, that was somebody else actually asked that one. I thought it was Tommy for a second, but uh, we that's what we love about it. There's so many different types of personalities. It, in this it, group, it's probably it's probably one of Tommy's burners that asked it. Yeah. So. Uh, John A. Wood's <laughs> question, which assistant coach has the most pressure and strain when it comes to developing his room the next two seasons between Gino Gadulli, Joe Rudolph, and Chancey Stuckey? Most pressure and strain. That's going to be, for me, an easy one, Ryan. It's Gino Gadulli. I, I mean, just I because it's the spotlight position and they're like receiver, it's kind of like which stud do I want to play next year? You know, offensive line could be somewhat similar, although you're probably replacing Joe Walt. If there's a if there if you get into a situation where you know you're replacing all uh also replacing Blake Fisher, then that obviously adds a little bit more pressure to it. But right now I expect one of them to come back. Maybe that's wishful thinking more than anything, but that's kind of what what I'm referring to here. But look, next year, you're talking about the next two seasons. Quarterback's going to have a big role in, in what Notre Dame does. You're going to have a young quarterback that's going to be a talented quarterback. The expectations are, hey, we're not taking a step back because we have a redshirt freshman or a freshman quarterback. We still expect to be very good. Yeah, that's going to be the expectation. And, and and you know, you can't you can't blame anybody else for if, if it doesn't work out. I mean, you're going to have talent. Oh, you can't. Right. You can't. I mean, yeah, it's, it's not like breaking. Can't. It's not it's not like breaking habits. Like literally, you right. are the only quarterback coach that Kenny Minchie ever had. And you'll be the only quarterback coach that CJ Carr ever has. And by next year, you will have coached Steve Angeli longer than Tommy Reese coached Steve Angeli. Right. Yep. And so there will be no excuses. You'll have a talented room. Your numbers won't be ideal, but you'll be in a situation where and, and then just so much hangs on your ability to develop your room. You know, so I think there's going to be more pressure on Coach Gadouli than anybody. Now, it doesn't mean that now what we're not saying that we don't think he's going to thrive. It's, it's just the question was simply about pressure and strain. That's all. And and you don't come to Notre Dame if you're not up for the pressure. Right? Yeah. <laughs> if, if you don't want pressure, you you should come right. to Notre Dame. So. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Here's a draft question, Ryan. So I'm going to read this one, and it's a super chat from Tyler Evans. Tyler, thank you very much for the super chat. And Tyler asks, 
what day three quarterback got overdrafted? Just for those who are not draft Knicks, day three is essentially rounds four through seven is where that is. So there were, let's see, five, six, seven, eight, nine quarterbacks drafted on day three. Yes. Ryan, so your your thoughts on – I have an opinion. Your thoughts on on which one got overdrafted? I, I think there's two that pop into my mind real quickly, and because there was a weird run on day three quarterbacks starting in the fourth round. I mean, you had guys like Stetson Bennett and Aiden O'Connell and and uh, Jay Kaner, who I really like. I actually like Jay Kaner. I thought that that was a good pick. But then you had you know the fifth, sixth, seventh round. Max Duggan, I think, was the last quarterback selected mm-hmm. out of TCU in this draft. Like. I think that the two guys for me to the question, Tyler, is one is Stetson Bennett. The other is Aiden O'Connell, in my opinion. Those are the two guys I think got overdrafted quite a bit. Stetson for some reasons, right? One, he's an outlier. You know, you're thinking of outlier in the fourth round, whatever. It's fine. I just think that he kind of lacks NFL traits in certain departments. And (laughs) I also don't really know if he wants to play professional football. Like That's just kind of where I I think he wants to play. I just don't know if he wants to do what he needs to do to be good at it. Yeah, maybe a better way to phrase it is he wants to play professional football, but I'm not sure he wants to be a professional. He, Ryan, so, he he is yeah. getting close to retirement age, you That's know. True, so man. think about think about this though. Yeah, we just got done saying that Michael Mayer, in four years after his current rookie contract is up, in four years he'll be 25. It means he'll be a year younger than what Stetson Bennett is right now. Yeah, yeah. So to me, there's no upside there. Like, yeah, it, like. Not he's not going to get better. Like we'll say, well, neither is Hendon Hooker. Exactly. Hendon Hooker doesn't need to get better. He just needs to do a normal adjustment to the NFL game, which was yep. a pick I liked, by the way. And I was trying to explain to That's... a Lions fan, and he, he he took it well. He was like, Hudson, Hendon Hooker's 25. Like, why would you like that pick? You know, Jared Goff was solid last year. I said, well, because Jared Goff's about to make $30 million the next two years. Hendon Hooker's about to make not a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you're, you're going to have a guy that I think can be a, a good, solid quarterback in the NFL – making a million bucks or less. And now you've got $28 million, $29 million you're going to save after next year. Cause I wouldn't start on this year. I would start Jared Goff this year, but after next year, I would make that move. If, if Hendon Hooker proves himself right, re- able to play. And now all of a sudden you got 20, almost $30 million to, to play with. You could give Hendon Hooker a little bit of a bump to keep him happy and still have a lot of money to play with for the, so that's, it was more of a salary cap thing than saying, Oh, Jared Goff sucks or whatever. I mean, Jared yeah. Goff is a quarterback of one of the statistically best offenses in the NFL last year. I'm not saying Jared Goff's a bum. I'm just looking at it. Practically speaking. He, he played well. He played well last year. He played yeah. Well. yeah. So it yeah. just made a lot of sense. I, I, Ryan, I agree. I agree with yours. I, I think it was, it was the, the, the ones you mentioned. I, I still say Jaron Hall getting picked in front of Tanner McKee. I understand the knocks on Tanner McKee, but sixth round to me is going to be is too low for him. I get why people don't like him. I'll tell you what I thought was the quarterback steal pick of the draft is the New York New Orleans Saints getting Jake Hayner in round four. The only thing he lacks from an NFL standpoint, in my opinion, is size. But you know who yeah. else lacks size? The number one overall pick. They're not that much different size wise. Oh, I, I love actually, Jay Kaner. I actually completely changed my my answer actually because I, I think that both those guys were reaches. I said Sean Clifford getting picked in the fifth round was absolutely Sean, atrocious. Sean Clifford getting picked was yes. that would have been a to me. Yes. I forgot about that one, but especially in the fifth round, I think he got yeah. picked before Jaron Hall. He he got picked before Jaron Hall and Tanner McKee. You are correct. Yes. You yes. are. And he only yeah, got picked it's... nine spots behind Dorian Thompson Robinson, which I thought was a nice pick for them. 
he's a really sharp kid. I, uh, he's going to have a long, he's going to have a very, in my opinion, he's going to have a very Tyrod Taylor type of career, not start as much as Tyrod did, but like a very yeah. long, cause he's everything I've ever heard about him, high character, really smart. Um, you know, a guy that I think is going to have a very long career as a backup quarterback. And if he has yeah. to be a spot starter here and there, he can get, he can get you out of a ball game. I don't think he's an NFL starter, but I think he's a guy that, that would be a prototypical backup quarterback for a long time that you really, that has a lot of value for your, for your franchise. Yeah. I, I was view. good with DTR. I was very good with Jake Hayner getting selected on day three. I was, I'm fine with Tanner McKee from a talent perspective. The only thing I didn't like about the Tanner McKee pick was it's kind of a weird fit with the Philadelphia Eagles. Cause their offense is going to be very different from when, Jalen Hurts is taking snaps to when Tanner McKee is going to take snaps. Like, well, isn't Ian Book still there too? Yes. And yes, Ian Book is. is a very similar style to J- to Jalen Hurts. I'm not saying he's nearly as good, yeah. but like Ian Book can run around and you can make run stuff similar off offense right. to them. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Like like Dorian Thompson Robinson to the Philadelphia Eagles would have been a pick where I've been like, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. sense. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why it made sense for the Browns because yeah. you can run an offense similar to what you're going to run with Deshaun Watson, in my yeah. opinion. Even Jaron Hall would have made okay sense for me for yeah. the Eagles. Like, I mean, he's not going to run quarterback run game a ton, but like he can extend a little bit. He right. can move a little bit. Like that would have made some sense. But yeah, the yeah. Makita Philly fit offensively was just kind of an odd one to me. I'm like, eh, yeah. I don't know about I that one, man. Not sure. I, I really felt the Raiders needed to get a quarterback in this draft class. I, I do because their yeah. starting quarterback has history his, in, injuries. I just didn't think Aiden O'Connell was the direction they should have gone <laughs> you know, I, I especially... was i was hearing that aiden o'connell was going to go late late yeah. late day three like sixth or seventh round i was just yeah. surprised that he went that early to be honest because I, I don't dislike aiden but like he's not a tools really so nice like... he was a really yeah. nice college quarterback yes right in yes. in a good system but not an nfl guy in my opinion yeah all right here we go ryan let's get back at it a super chat from Rob Osgood. rob thank you so much if you were the coach what defense would you run this year and if the type of recruits in the past two classes, what type would you move towards to, if at all? IB boards rock. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Thank you for that. Yes, thank you very much, Rob. So if I was going to run a defense this year, it would be a defense that I would run almost every year, and I would have a hybrid 4-2-5. Now, what yes. a hybrid 4-2-5 for me, Ryan, is I have the ability to go 4-2-5 nickel and 4-2-5 base easily. And it's more of a personnel shift than anything. I think when you look at Notre Dame's schedule now and moving forward, especially with Lincoln Riley now at your rival, because the way I look at it is as of right now, now we don't know if Notre Dame's going to extend their contract with Stanford. We don't know the answer to that. But as of right now, the three teams that you play every year are three teams that you will never run a base defense against or hardly ever run a base defense against. Now that Stanford's going to what Troy Taylor ran at Sacramento State, you're going to be a nickel a ton. Same thing yes. against USC. Navy is not a base. The New York can be a nickel, but you're not going to run your normal defense anyway. I think when you look at a lot of the teams that you're trying to pursue, you're an ACC team. A lot of teams in the ACC spread the ball around. They have mobile quarterbacks. Again, a lot of your schedule moving forward is going to be against teams that you're going to need to have nickel as a, a primary package. So why not just recruit to it? That's kind of the way I look at it. And and But I can still have the ability – on base downs to have a Jaden Osbury, a Jalen Sneed, uh, a Chris Cole type of athlete at Rover, where I'm now sort of like what Mike Elko did at Wake Forest with Thomas Brown, which yeah. I thought was one of the best 4-2-5 sch- schemes that I've seen like, in the last 
decade or so, including what we saw from Gary Patterson. Like I loved that version of the four two five. It was very similar to what Notre Dame did with Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, because you had a basically a safety, a big safety type of guy there, as yep. opposed to uh, Drew Tranquil, who who did a really good job in twenty seventeen as the rover, but he was even better as a will. He was even better as an inside guy. So four two five with a true four two five personnel but being hybrid enough to where I can easily go four, three personnel with the certain type of athlete out there would be, would be what I would, what I would do now. And it's what I would recruit to moving forward as well. I, I look, I love the ability to go four down. I think it's important to be able to go four down. I, I, I would, the kind of Vipers I would recruit are, are sort of Logan Thomas type of guys, Josh Burnham type of guys. I do like the ability to kind of, to, to move that guy around a little bit, run some three, three stack without having to sub personnel. I think there's merit to that, but if my end is also a Malachi Williams or an Elijah Rushing, I got no problem going to that either. Yeah. So and, and on and it's like with anything, Ryan. I like the ability to be able to do both. I like the ability to line up a, a, a Malachi Williams and Elijah Rushing, a Cole Mullins and Isaiah Foskey type in a four down, and then I like having the ability to have a Josh Burnham type, a Junior Two Alamaka type, even a Jordan Patelho type, and a Logan Thomas type of guy there as well, because you—it's just about having the the diversity of personnel to where I can keep my defense. Like I don't have to run two completely different defenses, but I can now use personnel to execute certain things that we have more effectively than trying to ask Elijah Rushing to drop into coverage. Could he do it? Sure, he could do it. Do you want him to do it? I don't want Elijah rushing doing anything when the ball is being thrown, but rushing the quarterback. Same with Malachi yeah. Williams, right? And that's same with Isaiah Foskey. So that's that's what I would recruit to. Re- recruit to. I, I think you have to have you have to have athletic versatility when you're, especially when you're at Notre Dame, Ryan, because you are going to play an ACC team one week, a Big Ten team the next week, an SEC team the next week, and then have that ability to kind of be versatile when you get to the postseason. I've always been a four-two-five guy. I Gary Patterson was my guy growing up. I remember back in high school, I used to watch like just coaching clinics of him teaching the four-two-five, and you know he was very unique with how he did it, right? Because it was basically three safety looks a ton, a lot of umbrella coverage. There was just the versatility that his defense could play with is something that I think is he was way before his time. Because now you're seeing every team, NFL and college, basically running some form of the four two five in some instance right like you're you have you're running that because it's so to your point brian you can be diverse with it like it's so easy to be interchangeable between a nickel base like it's just so easy to be able to basically format different different looks defensively which is just really i, I think that that's the way you need to go i want the only thing i would add because i agree with you in that sense and i've always been a four two five guy i also think that what you have defensively you're getting bigger up front, but one thing Notre Dame has is Notre Dame has a lot of athletic guys up front, right? Like Riley Mills is an incredibly, incredibly twitchy three technique, for instance. Howard Cross is a 280-pound, one-gap style player. You have Joshua Burnham. You have Jordan Botelho. 4-2-5, but it's got to be an attack style front. It has to be for me it, because I think that that really plays into Notre Dame's favor. Like 4-2-5 where you're asking – your nose to be a traditional nose where you're just two gapping a ton and working blockers and ask your three tech to be more of a read and react type of football player instead of a tax style player. I just don't think that really plays into Notre Dame's favor moving forward. Like you're getting athleticism up front. Talk about that 2023 class with 
Armel Muka and Brendan Vernon with Bubakar Traore with Devin Houston. You're, you're recruiting to it as well. You are recruiting a lot of athleticism and starting to get a little bit bigger up front. So I want this team to not only just be a 4-2-5, but to be an attack style 4-2-5. Like I do not want this to be a just 4-2-5 base. We're going to read and react like, nah, man, like let's be a little bit aggressive. And that doesn't mean blitz. That means up front defensively. Take the shackles off and let them go, man. Let them attack. Be one-gap style players. I do not want to see Howard Cross two-gapping a ton this year. Just don't want to see it. He's 280 right. pounds. Take a gap. Split a gap. You could do those types of things. So attack style 425 would also be my bread and butter for Notre Dame. Agree. Very good answer. That's a and a very good question, Rob. I I, I like that one very much. Here we have uh we have one from Alan Watson. I want Alan. I want to thank you for the super chat. We will answer this question, but just know that that's a, a going to be a podcast topic very soon as well. Yep. So we'll we'll dive into it even further. But what I want to do, Ryan, with Alan's question, he says, "What does Notre Dame need to do to take the next step?" I want to say, let's look at one thing that that you think from a Big picture view, so it can be an administration thing. Yeah, what's one thing that, that can happen on offense, and that's one thing that can happen on deep that needs to happen on defense that is in your control. Yep, as a program that needs to happen for Notre Dame to take the next step. Yeah, I mean, I think offensively, it's it's. I mean, this is just from a coaching perspective. Like, I think it's diverse, right? Like, you need to be more diverse as a team. I, because there is a way that Notre Dame needs to play to be successful. We've talked about the ability to run the football. That's always going to be a thing that needs to be consistent at Notre Dame. You need to be a really good offensive line developer if you're at Notre Dame. But I think more than anything, there's been just some offenses, and some of it's due to personnel at times, like the quarterback position, for instance. But there's just been some some years, Brian, where I just feel like recently it's just been stale, right? You're just like you're just doing the same thing over and over again, just hitting yourself against the wall, head against the wall. And at times it works, and at times it's just not incredibly successful. So I think diversity offensively is something you need to be a little bit more creative. You need to be a little bit more aggressive. You need to be a little bit more pedal to the metal at times. And that doesn't mean we have to be a no huddle. You know, like let's let's get this pace in in like a hyper mode. Like I don't want this to be like the University of Tennessee, for instance, right? But let's get a little more pace at times. Let's make put a little more pressure offensively. I think that that is a big step that Notre Dame needs to take. And defensively, I mean, I think for me, it's you need to keep recruiting certain types of defenders that maybe you haven't had a ton of. So I look up front, for instance, you need more long-limbed, twitchier pass rushers outside. You need to really start, I think, getting those types more consistently. You missed on Keon Kelly last class. You're in on Elijah Rushing. You're in on Logan Thomas. You're in on Malachi Williams. I really think that those types and continuing to get longer and more athletic on the defensive line is a big step that the defensive line can take. Big picture for me. Uh, one thing that they can do big picture is there is no, I've said this before, I won't spend a lot of time on it. There's no excuse for the non-NIL things involved with your running your program that Notre Dame is not in the top five at everything. They don't have to be top five in extras for the facilities, but your facility should always be up to date and sharp and crisp and have everything that they need, right? I don't, I'm not talking slides and all this other kind of crap. But it should always be taken care of because that's the one of the first things that recruits are going to see when they step foot on your campus is your football facilities. And right now, they see a very outdated football facility that doesn't always have everything functioning. That's unacceptable to me, completely unacceptable. 
I'm talking nutrition program. I'm talking making sure that your players have all the vitamins, all the all the food, like all the facilities they need to have the food prepared there, all that stuff. No excuse for that. There's no excuse for Notre Dame to not have one of the five biggest support staff support staffs in the country, size wise. I mean, money wise, all of it. There's no reason that Notre Dame's coaching staff shouldn't be top five in the country. No reason for it. There's no reason that you should have to wait until an assistant coach who is absolutely crushing it at Notre Dame gets an NFL invite to come interview for you to start engaging him and giving him more money. Things like that. Those are all pro player things that don't involve NIL that you have the money for that this class, this, this, the administration absolutely needs to do. They, they have given lips or, and I know people get mad about me when I say this, I don't care because I'm telling you, I've talked to so many people about this. It's not even a debate. It's not even a debate. Okay. You can get mad as an outsider who's not involved in it. And that's all your 200 mission. I'm just telling you what's holding them back in that regard. They give lip service to, they want to be a championship program from an administration standpoint. They expect you to have the results but they're not willing to do what they need to do to make sure that you have everything that you need to go be great, to make sure you're not losing assistant coaches, to make sure that you can attract the best coaches. They don't. They have too many people in, in position of influence underneath Jack Swarbrick that have no business being there. They would never get hired at places like Alabama and North Carolina and Duke. I'm talking about supposedly top level institutions and in all types of sports. They just don't have that. And that needs to change. They're they're way too cheap when it comes to that. And there's no excuse for that. None. Because if you invest, it's like with anything, Ryan, if I invested money I didn't have into hiring that guy right there, and the result has been, the return on my investment has been beyond what I invested in the risk that I took. That's what you do. Because if you, if you spend the money on something that you think is valuable, that you know will bring success, the return on that investment is going to be through the roof. And if they spent that money to make sure Notre Dame had the best program possible and they went out and backed it up and won and and Marcus Freeman had all the resources that he needed, then you're going to get way more money back than you spent. That's just the way that it works. That's why that's why Bama spends what they spend. That's why the other programs spend what they spend, because they know if we win, we're going to get this thing back big time. So to me, administration needs to do things like that. Offensively, Ryan, I think you nailed it. Being able to change pace, being more aggressive. You know, making it a more attractive part of the way you can recruit better on offense is make your offense more attractive to the best athletes. Yeah. Simple. Well, as I mean, that. I mean, think about how many of the wide receivers that were on campus for the Blue Gold game were talking about, like, wow, man, they were airing it out with the Blue yeah. Gold game. That's wild. Going but, downfield early, yeah. exactly. Exactly. That's one of the first things Taz Williams Jr. from Texas, the 2025 receiver, said to me. He was like, "Wow, I wasn't expecting Notre Dame to open it up that much offensively. Like they right. were throwing the ball around." I was right? Like, yeah, man, it's a little bit different exactly. era, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Defensively, Ryan, I think it, it comes down to making sure that your defensive coordinator is elite as a recruiter and as a coach. That's a big key for me because that takes care of all the stuff you mentioned. Because you're spot on. You need to have really good cover corners. You have to have edge rushers. But if you have a Mike Elko type as your defensive coordinator, then guess what? That's going to happen. That's going to be part of it. And so uh, that that to me is the the biggest thing for me. I think a I think a great defensive coordinator nowadays is so much more important than having a great offensive coordinator. And I think the you want evidence of that. Clemson won two national championships with Jeff Scott and Tony Elliott running the offense. Yeah. And, and what have I, what have either done since they left? Right. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. exactly. But Brent Venables was the difference. 
yeah. couldn't win a title when they had Chad Scott running their offense. Not Chad Scott, um, Chad Morris running their offense, who to me is an offensive mind is better than Tony Elliott or Jeff Scott. Oh, he's great. But they were terrible because they had Kevin Steele running their defense. So they went out and scored 33 in the Orange Bowl, still lost by 37, right? I mean, that's just the reality of it. And they, their th- things changed for them. It wasn't just getting Deshaun Watson because they started to – everybody says, well, they, they turned the corner with Deshaun Watson. No, they didn't. They started to turn the corner with Taj Boyd early on when Brent Venables first came over. Deshaun Watson took them to the final level, but they were yeah. already doing better. I mean, they, ha- they had a win over Ohio State in an Orange Bowl before – Deshaun Watson, they had a win over LSU in a in a peach. I think it was the Peach Bowl or the Chick Fil A Bowl before uh, the uh, Deshaun Watson got there. It was already starting to turn, and and a lot of it had to do with bringing in a guy like Brent Venables to to run your defense. So that would be a thing for me. Yeah, that I would look at. So yeah, that's where I'm at. Good question. Good question. Here we go. Got another super chat from Joe Papiti. Yeah, it has been a minute, man. Joe, thank you so much for the super chat. Said, been a minute. As always, you guys are great. Thank you. So I know you guys are sick of talking portal, but do you think that a large part of what's happening at Notre Dame is a result of the culture change that Marcus Freeman is bringing in? Partly. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's some parts of it. I I don't think that we can attribute every player hitting the portal to that, Joe, because it's just the natural attrition of the era we live in, the transfer portal era. But there are definitely a couple players that hit the portal this offseason because – there's an understanding that they're not a part of the future plans at Notre Dame. So anytime that there's a coaching change, I feel like some of this happens. And I think that some of it needs to happen, right? Like you can't, you can't just pretend everything's sunshine and rainbows. You have to be real with yourself when you're really trying to elicit change. And I think that coach Freeman had a lot of real conversations with kids about the future of Notre Dame football and buying in. And if you're not, you're not going to be a part of this program. And even if you do buy in, you know, maybe there's just a a different way that we can go in certain situations. So I wouldn't attribute every move to that, but I do think that there is an element of that for some of the moves this off season that that Marcus Freeman is putting his imprint on the program. And if you don't get with what the mission is here, then you're not a part of the future prospects of getting Notre Dame back to that point that you want to get them back to. So yeah, I think it's it's not just that Ryan. It's also the fact that there's legitimate competition now. Like let's be honest in the past, there's no way the Lorenzo styles isn't the starting X going into the spring practices. No way. None. Cause he was older and that was different this year. First day of practice. Tobias Merriweather's out at X, not Lorenzo styles. And so there's a much greater uh, push for competition combine that with the era that we live in guys are going to leave it's just the reality of it so yeah it, it's a culture change ryan but like you said but also combined with the the new the the new world of college football we live in which you which you mentioned but i think the competition piece is the biggest driver for me that's the biggest yep. thing for me that factored into it is you know because look i don't think brian kelly goes out and gets sam hartman i don't not if he's still here, not if he's still at Notre Dame. I think he said, hey, you know, Tyler's our guy. Let's roll with Tyler. We love Drew. Let's just, you know, we'll, we'll be fine. I I don't think he would have – because they had to go get Jack Cohn. I mean, literally, you had a redshirt freshman, Drew Pine, and a true freshman, Tyler Buckner, and that was it. That was it. That's all you had. They 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 wouldn't have had that. You'd had Tyler Buckner, Drew Pine, and, and Kenny, Steve Angeli, plus the incoming freshman. You'd had four quarterbacks. You'd been fine. Because Drew Pine only left because – primarily because they told him we're going to go get a portal quarterback. Yeah. I don't think he would have left otherwise. So, yeah, I uh, I think all those things are part of it. 
So good, good, really good question so far today, guys. Here we got another super chat from Andrew Burke. Andrew, thank you so much. Says what specific statistic, either offensively or defensively, will be most indicative of Notre Dame's success this year or that lack thereof? That's a very interesting question. Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, if I can pick a statistic that translates well on both sides of the ball, Andrew, what I'm looking for is yards per play in the big games. Like that's going to be a big thing. And if I if I could pick two, the the one for me would be and I don't even know if like if you can find this anywhere, but offensively, I'm a big yards per play guy, Ryan. I'm, I, I think yeah. that's so indicative of, of the kind of offense you are. It either tells you that me that you're really explosive or really efficient or a little bit of both. That's a that's a big a big for big one for me. And because you, you'll find like sometimes teams that are that 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 have great high really high yards per play aren't great third down teams. Yeah, because they don't get to a lot of third downs. And, and, and so you're just, you're, you're going to kind of be in that situation where if you have some misses on fewer attempts, you're going to, you know, your, your, your average is going to be down a little bit, but yards per play is the big one for me on offense. And if I had to go with one, even more on defense, I'm a big proponent of disruptives. I think disruptives are huge. So if you're, if you only pick one tackles for loss for me is the biggest one. I, if, if you could promise me 100-plus tackles for loss this year, I wouldn't even ask you what the sack number is. I wouldn't care. Like, and sacks really also play care. into tackles for loss exactly. at the college level anyway. So. Because yeah. you, if you said, hey, we're going to have we're gonna have 45, 50 sacks this year, I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, what's the tackle for loss numbers? If you're only at 80, then you weren't a super disruptive defense. And for all I know, you had half of your sacks were on third down or against teams that suck. Right. Yeah. It, it can it's a it can it can be it's not always, but it can be a misleading stat. I've said this before. I like the teams like Oklahoma State two years ago. They were like 114 tackles for loss and like 55 sacks. Like that's the number. Get me to 100 plus tackles for loss. That's where I want to be, because that tells me you're not just getting after the quarterback on third down, but you're also getting after the run game on first down. Yeah. And that's where I want to be. Th- those are the those to me are the the defenses that that I think are are tend to be the best are the ones that are super disruptive when it comes to tackles for loss. I, I, it's not always the case, right? I was a team that gets that, that at times doesn't have great tackle for loss numbers, but the, you know, to me, the best defenses are the ones that tend to have very the championship defenses, I think. And especially for a team like Notre Dame, it's important to have a very high tackle for loss numbers. I really like that as a number much more so than sacks. But any disruptive statistic, pass breakups, interceptions, tackles are lost, even forced fumbles. You don't have to force a ton of fumbles. You don't have to recover a ton of fumbles to be very disruptive if I'm constantly knocking the ball out because that usually results in lost yardage somewhere. Yeah, and you have more chances to create a turnover too if you're getting the ball out. So, yeah. Well, I think that historically speaking, two big indicators of success, because and, and I think one has changed a lot than what it used to be, is time of possession and turnover margin. I think time of possession has gotten very overrated now with just the yeah. game becoming more wide open. There's just not as much running, which I think is more indicative of the slow churn of what offenses used to be at some points, right? So time of possession, I think, is a little bit overrated now, but I think turnover margin has stood the test of time, man. Like, if your offense is being consistent and efficient and not giving the ball away a ton and your defense is able to turn the ball over a ton and get the offense the ball back i really think that's a big indicator of both sides of the ball being successful and last year brian 
that was one thing Notre Dame struggled with defensively for most of the year was creating turnovers. Like they just were not a good team at creating turnovers. And I think that hurts them a little bit, right? Like that, I mean, that's just more possessions that have a chance of being successful when you're not forcing turnovers as much. So I think turnover margin for me is one that I think that one's always going to stand the test of time, man. I really do. Like there's going to be some, like I said, with like time of possession that are going to change as a little, little bit as far as like the absolute importance. But if you are not turning the ball over a ton offensively, and you are forcing a lot of turnovers on the defensive side of the football, you're probably going to be a pretty dang good football team, man. Like that's kind of that's kind of the, uh, the the baseline for me on that one. So I think turnover margin for me, Andrew, is one that like consistently, no matter what area you're looking at, whether we're talking about you know playing in the '60s, '70s, '80s, '90s, into the th- 2000s, turnover margin is a big indicator of success, in my opinion. You know what's interesting, Ryan is is we're seeing. I, I don't necessarily disagree with you what i would say is we're seeing a lot more outliers in recent history than we have in the past especially like georgia is a, a an ultimate outlier but you but you also saw like clemson 2016 was an outlier this past year georgia ranked in the 60s in turnover margin they ranked 62nd not because they turned the ball over a ton because they didn't force a lot of turnovers and so if you look at georgia this year they ranked let me find it here. They ranked 57th in turnovers forced, right? But they also ranked 48th in turnovers lost, mm-hmm. right? Now, again, part of that's because they played two extra games in most teams, right, with the turnovers lost. But they tend to be the anomaly, where if you look like Bama 2017, that was not a great Alabama team, but they ranked like fourth or fifth nationally in turnover margin because they forced a lot of turnovers and didn't turn the ball over a lot. That's how a team that didn't have great talent that year was able to go out and win a championship. I I still say this. Georgia had better top-level players in 2017 than Alabama did, because most of Alabama's really high-level players were still really young. And, you know, in Georgia, Georgia was, I thought that team was loaded in 2017. Roquan Smith and the, the running backs. I mean, DeAndre Swift was your third running back on that team. Yeah, it was wild. Uh, but I think to your point, the outlier. This is why I think people need to not always look at the national champion as the outlier to what you need to do, because usually a team like that, Ryan, can can have that funky type of dynamic where you have an, a, a roster that has twenty five players that get picked over two years, so we can get away with things that you can't get away with, right? Right. I think to your point, though, I think that. What I would argue about your point is I think that's a greater indication of if you are a team that's going to have sustained success, then turnover margin is something that you take a lot of pride in. We're very disruptive, and we protect the football. As long as you don't go so far to where you then become afraid to take any risks. Sure. And I think that's where Notre Dame kind of got to at times under Brian Kelly was they were so averse to mistakes that they just wouldn't take any chances. Like that was a big problem for Ian Book. He was so afraid to make a mistake, he just wouldn't make throws. He would it would be paralyzed when it cut, you know, mentally paralyzed from making certain throws because there's a chance it might get picked off. Like I remember when he, I thought he was playing pretty well against Duke early, and then he throws that pick, and he was like never the same guy. Like he was coming out like throwing. I think he had like was it Tommy Tremble? He had somebody like in triple coverage. I'm like that's just not a throw that Ian Book normally makes. I'm like this is fun to watch, and then he makes that dumb throw where he gets picked off against Duke, sails a ball on a crossing route, gets picked off. And he just he went right back to the way he was before, and it's just like, man, you can't you can't be that way. Like one thing I love about Sam Hartman is he'll go out and have some games. You're like, oh, buddy, like what the heck were you thinking? 
But then he comes out the next game and he's still gunslinging. He's still he's still yeah. going out there and just okay. I had a crap game last week, but I'm still I'm not going to be afraid to turn the ball over this week. I'm still going to go play my game, right? He's I mean, very, he's very comfortable in his own skin. Yeah, own I mean, skin. he goes out and, and in two game stretch against Louisville and NC State, both losses, he throws six interceptions. It was half of his interceptions last year. And then he goes out the next two games and he throws for 320 yards and four touchdowns against North Carolina. And then he goes out the next week and throws for 331 yards and four touchdowns against Syracuse. He goes out the next game, throws for 300 yards and 347 yards and three touchdowns against Duke. It didn't get in his head. And and now you 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 want to eliminate some of those mistakes because some of the throws he had were, were were balls you want back, but you you don't want a kid that's just going to be so afraid to make a mistake that he just won't even because then you don't make plays. That was like, do you remember Matt Corral that one year where he threw oh, like yeah. eight interceptions in like a two-game span or something like that? Yeah. It was wild, man. It was oh, really yeah. bad. <laughs> it was really it bad. Was. But he only threw like two interceptions in the other games that year. Right. It was like the weirdest stat weird. line ever, Matt Corral. Very weird. Yeah. Yeah. Very weird. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, we got another super chat here from Connor Grant. Connor says, if you could guarantee one position group at Notre Dame was a top five group, which group would you choose? Uh, offensive line for me, Connor, like that one's the one that I, I just, you have arguably the best left tackle in college football, if not the second best left tackle in college football. Like it's a great argument. You have a really good starting right tackle in Blake Fisher, and you have a really good center. I've talked about this all the time, this off season so far, that's the three most important positions on an offensive line. And you have a plus starter coming back. And in some cases, a, plus, 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 plus starter coming back in a Joe Alt, right? So having those guys back on top of having talent at guard that's going to be filling in, I feel like the offensive line is one spot where I'm like, yep, that, that position is going to be really good barring some injury setbacks or whatnot. I like the line part, but I'm going defensive line. If Notre Dame has a f- top five defensive line this year, Notre Dame's going to be really hard to beat. Because even if the offensive line is like the eighth best offensive line, Oh, I there, thought I was pre- I thought I was predicting which one will be an offense of uh, top five. Is this yeah? Is this well, what, he says what we would guarantee? He be says one? if you could guarantee one position group at Notre Dame was a top five group, which would it be? Oh, okay. that, that totally it. changes mine. Mine would also yeah. be defensive line. Then, if I could pick one, yeah, gotcha. You stole my answer. I just come up with this well, great I, answer. I, I thought he just, was asking just, which one am I most long, confident in. You went this long rant about offensive line, then you realized how. Bad it was when I no, said I just no, I, I, I just misread Connor's question. I thought he was it's, asking me which one am I most confident yeah. in that is going to be a top five. If I could guarantee group. one group was a top five group, it's defensive line. Because like if if you're top seven, eight everywhere else, but I'm top five defensive line, I'm going to be really good. I if your linebacking core is the fifteenth best linebacking core in the country, but your D line's top fifteen, top five, you're going to be really good. You're going to be really good. That would be the one I would go with. So, and I'm, I'm glad it took me a half a sentence to get Ryan to come around to, to my, oh, to my oh. I'm, I'm kidding. It, it, it took you I'm half a second for you. me to learn how to read. If anything, <laughs> I mean, that's all, that's all that happened there. Unfortunately, it was not a job requirement when I hired you. So 
It's really? Awkward. Reading's awkward not a part reading. of the job. No, no. As long as you can, as long as you can write, you know, it, it, I can, it would I can clean it. It up. would make the job difficult though if it I wasn't would. able to read. So. It would. It would. We got another super chat from Wicked Bronco Productions. Wicked Bronco Productions says, "Thank you for the super chat." By the way, am I wrong to think Sam Hartman is the best quarterback we have had since Brady Quinn and could be the best ever? Whoa, Notre Dame quarterback has never had forty passing touchdowns. Hashtag Sam Hartman for Heisman. Well, if you're going to talk about production, there's an opportunity for him sure. to do that, especially if if Notre Dame plays extra games. I mean, I'm trying to think the year Brady Quinn threw for 3,900 yards in 2012, or two, excuse me, 2005, right? We played 12 games that year because they played 11 games in the regular season, and and they they played the one the postseason game well if brady quinn plays the same number of games in a season that they do now 12 regular season and postseason unless the team that they played against in that that extra game held him to less than 81 you know less than 81 yards passing he'd had had 4,000 yards this year so just sam Hartman could throw for 4,000 yards this year and have fewer yards per per game than what brady quinn had so uh, that's part of it but Best ever, I mean, since or best since Brady. Look, guys, Jimmy Clausen was real. I know people don't like him. Jimmy Clausen was amazing in 2009. Amazing. If you put Jimmy Clausen on that 20, 2000, talk about teams that can win a title. Put Jimmy Clausen on the 2017 Notre Dame football team. Put Jimmy Clausen on the 2018 Notre Dame football team. Put Jimmy Clausen on the 2015 Notre Dame football team. And one of those teams is getting a ring. And I know he wasn't a leader, but you wouldn't have needed him to be because you had all those other guys that were leaders, right? So I, if, I shoot, I even say put him on the 2010 football team. If he comes back in 2010, that team's pretty dang good. They're not a championship team, but they're probably a 10 win team in Brian Kelly's first year. So I, I know people don't like him. I understand that. I, I don't know him personally. I never met him. I've heard stories, whatever. I don't care. That guy was amazing in 2009, and he was pretty good his first two years too. When you consider how bad the team was around him, and how, and the thing he doesn't get enough credit for too, right? That kid played through a lot of injuries. He was tough. He was physically tough, and I give him credit for that. But man, he was, he was um, that was one of the best quarterback seasons I've ever seen from a quarterback, it's a, from a just a pure drop back quarterback standpoint. It just the team sucks, so he doesn't get the credit. And it's unfortunate, but man, he was amazing. So Sam Hartman's going to have to be pretty flipping good to be better than what Jimmy Clausen was in 09. Cause he's only going to be for a year. So we can't compare the yeah. whole career. We can only compare his one season to the best seasons of others. It's a limited resume. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. you know, look, if his numbers are better than Brady Quinn's statistically, I mean, Ian book had a year that he threw more touchdown passes than the Brady Quinn threw in 2005. Doesn't mean he was the better quarterback. He's because he threw 34 in 2019. So to me, no, he won't be the best ever, and and I don't. It, he'd have to be pretty flipping good. I mean, really flipping good to be better than what Jimmy was in two thousand eight. I also just don't really love the whole ever conversation because it's just apples to oranges when we're comparing them against like Tony Rice and those sure. guys too, right? Like it's just a completely different game than what it was, and Notre Dame's a completely different offense than what they were running in the eighties and nineties. Yeah. Like it's just not the same at all, even yeah. before that, obviously. So. No, there's a way he can put himself in that conversation, though, Ryan. Go win most, a title. Most prolific passer since yeah. Brady Quinn. Like, we can have that conversation. Go win a title. 
go yeah, win a title. Well, yeah, sure. And, and and then we'll have that conversation because that's what Tony Tony Rice was a winner. I don't care about his stats. He ran an, an offense that was completely different, to your point, than anything that they're going to run now. You can never compare his stats. But here, here's my thing. What was his record against top 25 teams? Well, he played on a great team. Sure. No other quarterback since then has had to come anywhere close to that. So maybe Tony Rice had a lot to do with it. They're, hey, their quarterback the next three years was a guy that was taken as the number two overall draft pick in the NFL draft. And he was never as good as Tony Rice was when it came to winning. And so, and that's not a shot at Rick Meyer. Tony Rice was just a winner and, and a very dynamic player. But to your point, Ryan, go out there and, you know, throw for 3,800 yards and, and account for 40 plus touchdowns rushing and throwing and lead Notre Dame to a championship. Then we can have that conversation. Oh yeah, then we're then we're talking about Sam Hartman being a legend at Notre Dame. Like right. that's that's where we right. would be at that. And but, one year you'd be like, "Yep, that guy's a legend." If he did yes, that. he's a yes. legend. Hundred percent, hundred percent, absolutely. All right, we got uh, here. Here we go. One more super chat. Connor Grant says, "Somewhat off topic. That it's impossibly off topic on a Friday free for all mailbag." Connor, uh, don't on, say man. that because Tommy will say, "Okay, really? Okay, I got you. I got you." But yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and star that one question that you didn't okay. want to answer from Tommy, by the way. Yeah. Somewhat we're off not, topic, <laughs> but what are your thoughts on the Cowboys NFL draft this year? Oh, Connor, I hated it, man. <laughs> I talked about this the so other day. Weird. I did not love it, man. So they drafted Mozzie Smith at 26. I like the thought process of what they were trying to accomplish with that first pick because they are just not good up the middle defensively as far as their defensive tackles are concerned. But Mozzie Smith was just a reach at 26, in my opinion. Like he's a he's a day two early down run stopper. Like, and he could be fine in that role. But is he ever gonna be a value of the 26th overall pick in an NFL draft? I just don't see it. Then they, I mean, their draft, though, I'm trying to remember a couple of their picks. I know they drafted DeMarvian Overshone, who actually didn't hate that pick in the third round. But just overall, man, I I, I remember looking at that draft and just saying, like, I think that you only found value in probably two out of your picks in the entire draft. And I think that you just, you, you missed on some value potentially in this draft. So I just wasn't a fan of the Cowboys draft this year. I really just, it, it was one of those where I was just like, I think you missed opportunities there. And I think you missed opportunities, especially because the Philadelphia Eagles got better this off season. I think the commanders got a little bit better this off season. The giants got better this off season. I'm, I'm not sure Dallas got better this off season. I'm really not. Interesting. Ryan, I want to bring this up. This is an interesting question from Jason. It was related to the topic we just discussed with uh, mm -hmm. with Sam Hartman, and he asks, do we see Sam Hartman give SC the Heisman pose? And my answer would be, I hope not. Like, <laughs> yeah. it would be, like, swaggy and all that kind of stuff. But, like, bro, that's still October. You still got Clemson October. on the road coming up a couple weeks. Now, here's the deal. If Notre Dame's undefeated, and he runs in a touchdown at the end of the Clemson game in a in a convincing Notre Dame victory over Clemson, and he wants to strike the Heisman pose. Go for it, bro. Go for it. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> go for it, right? Uh, but you know, I, I'm just not a fan of going for the Heisman pose just because you're you're playing the guy that won it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that's you got a lot of ball game. You got a lot of season left, bro. After USC, so yeah. no, that's a little too early for me. And I would even say it, it might even be a little bit early doing it against Clemson because you still got Wake Forest and. Stanford coming up, but let's be honest. If you're undefeated coming out of Clemson, the odds of you losing to Pitt or I mean Wake Forest or who do they got after that? It's it's it's. Uh, let me see here. I, I, I still don't quite have their schedule completely memorized just yet. I know they have Pitt, Wake, and Stanford late, but I can't remember if one of those is before uh, uh, that Clemson game. So I'm pulling up their 23 schedule now. So they have after Clemson, yeah, Pitt's the week before Clemson, so they have a bye week. Wake at home and at Stanford. So yeah, 
you go tenant, you improve to 10 and 0 by beating Clemson and you make a play late, strike it up. Strike it up. I'm cool with that. Right. The better one would be if they beat Clemson and then at home the next week, he mm-hmm. runs in for a touchdown to give him a big lead against Wake Forest, his all the where he came from, and he strikes it then. Like that would be pretty interesting, but I'm not into that kind of showmanship. Like I want your results to to do it. But if he's going to do it, that's when you do it. Clemson, Clemson, or, or Wake Forest to me. But uh, I'd rather he didn't. I'd rather him just score and flip the ball to the to the to the ref and say. And you know why? And you know what Sam Hartman would say? Why if somebody says, "Hey, why didn't you strike a, strike a Heisman pose?" You know what he would say? I didn't come there name one Heisman. I came to yeah. name one national championship, and we don't have we don't that that. Heisman Trophy doesn't mean anything when it comes to that. I guarantee that's what would happen, but I wouldn't mind it if he didn't. Maybe, he, maybe he'll he, uh, yeah. maybe maybe he'll write something on his fingernails instead. Maybe he'll yeah, I really hope not. Really, really <laughs> but, hope not. By the way, you know my mind's super random sometimes, so I just remember that the Cowboys also took Luke Schoonmaker in the second round at tight end for Michigan, where I was like, "Wow, there's Darnell Washington what, what, still on the board yes, there." <laughs> yes, Tucker Kraft yes. is still on the board there. Like, huh? You didn't think Michael Mayer was a guy you even thought of at 26, but you're going to take Schoonmaker in the second round or 58, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. Come on, man. Yeah, that was a weird pick, yeah. though. I, was it was, yeah, I, don't, I don't even I don't even hate him either. I'm just like, but they're like, nah, you're, nah. You're right. We had a super chat from David Prevo. David, thank you so much for the for super chat. So do Marcus Freeman and the staff rethink how they work through position competitions in spring ball with the transfer of Tyler Buckner? Now we have a second string with less reps. Nope. I mean, yeah. your goal as a coach is not to keep people happy. And keep them here. Your goal is to build a football team that's going to be a and championship win. caliber football team. And, and that win. competition needed to happen. It was part of a team building. First of all, it was finding out, is Sam Hartman the same guy here that he was awake? Okay, that's the first thing you're trying to figure out. Number two, as we've said over and over and over again this spring, Sam Hartman needed to earn that job because the team needed to see him earn that job and not just have it handed to him. You're not going to follow a general that you think got handed the position because of who he knew or whatever he did. You want to see a guy that's, that's earned it. You want it, that guy that, that's gone through the ranks, that's that's fought those battles that we fought, that that is one of us, right? That's the guy that I'm following in the battle. Yep. And and like, it's like one of my favorite uh, Revolutionary War stories is a, a battle where the general, I think it was, was it Lee? I can't remember if it was Lee or Green. I can't remember which general it was, but he basically didn't follow George Washington's orders. The troops were scattering. They were running running back, and he gets on his horse, and he runs to the front line, and he's like, no, we're going, right? Like, that's the general you want to fight, fight for. Like, this cat is – because every – you know, when when George Washington's on the front lines, every sniper yeah. that the British had is now aiming for him. Yes. <laughs> you know what yes. I mean? But he's like, but that's the kind of guy you're going to follow. And uh, it, it needed to happen this way. And there needs to be competitions. And if a guy is going to leave because he loses a competition, so be it. All right. Love yeah. you. I got no ill will for you, but you got to go do what you got to do because you're not in it for us the way you need to be in it for us. Because a guy that's in it, I mean, look, I understand you got to make decisions that are for you and all that kind of stuff, but I'm sorry. Football is still a team game. And I'm always going to say this is still the part, this is still your team. What if Sam Hartman goes down in week one? What if he goes down in week two? You could have been here to help them win, but you chose to do what's best for you. I don't have any ill will towards that, but I'm not changing how I am how I am as a coach because you left. I'm just well, not. My, my, my question also would be like, what, what, what would the process change look like? Because if you told Tyler Buckner like it's not an open competition, then what would have what, 
would he have stayed regardless? Like, I just don't know exactly what change you would have yeah. had that would have elicited I'd be, I'd be very some curious, change. David, yeah, I'd be very curious yeah. to hear David say that. I would think that maybe, yeah. you know, maybe it'd be a thing where maybe Tyler got a little bit more reps in the spring or maybe it's a situation where, I mean, I don't know what they could have done. They they said it was an open competition. We hear all these people yeah. talking about how Tyler Buckner's out playing Sam Hartman and all this other kind of stuff. And, and at the end of the day, I got to do what I got to do to build my football team that's going to go out there and win football games. And doing things to make sure that people stay yeah. is not the way to go. It's just... I, I, I think the it's only way, way to, to have go. made Tyler Buckner stay is if you named him the starter, right? Like, I mean, what would have been the other... Like, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I don't know. I mean, after the blue gold game, when it was obvious to everyone that Sam Hartman's going to be the guy, Marcus Freeman yeah. still said, no, we got a, we got a competition. Yeah. And, and so... You know, but Tyler's also a smart kid. He he knew, he yeah. he saw the writing on the wall because, and not because of anything the coaches have done, because he watched Sam Hartman in practice, right? And from what I'm told, they still have a very good relationship. I, again, I have no ill will towards Tyler, and I I don't again I don't agree with the decision. I don't like it. I don't like the open portal process. I don't like any of it. You want to leave right away and go transfer right away and play right away? Fine, stay and get your degree. That should be the path to doing that. But I'm just not changing my my. Like I'm not changing anything I did to make Logan Diggs more happy or Lorenzo Styles more happy or Prince Kali more happy or Tyler Buckner more happy or to keep him here. They yeah. don't want to be here if they're not the starter. That's fine. Uh, no no disrespect intended, but I'm not changing what I'm doing to, to, to do that. You go be the starter somewhere else. Right. We're going to go try to win a championship. That's what we're going to do. Had, and uh, that's what I want to – yeah. That's where, Brian, that's where have, you ever, have you ever seen the movie The Patriot? Oh, of course. Okay. Of yeah, course. Well, you were you were telling well, you were telling the general story. I was just got yeah. Mel Gibson in my mind, like hold yeah. the line. Yeah. Hold takes the, the flag and runs yeah. to the front. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It's a great movie. That's I'm one just of my happy dad's favorite movies. Oh, yeah. See, me and your dad probably have a lot more in common. I'm probably closer yes. to him in age than I am to you, I believe, as well. How old's your dad? My dad is sixty. We're about this. I'm like literally like right in the middle, right in the middle. between the yeah. two of you. <laughs> like yeah. exactly in the middle. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a phenomenal movie. Well, mm-hmm. I was thinking of this. Somebody said Aim Small, Miss Small is one of the great quotes from that. And that's something that I learned when I first started shooting was the Aim Small, Miss Small thing. But then yeah. I was watching Spencer's, uh, Scott, uh, Spencer Schrader. That's the kicker, right? From yes, South. Schrader. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm watching him yesterday and he's kicking field goals like like at a po- flagpole. He's trying to hit the pole. And I'm thinking, that's brilliant. That's like, brilliant. It's the same. Pro- I mean, it's the, it's the philosophy. If my aim is like really small, it's just a flagpole. It's that aim small, miss small type of thing, you know, find that little small as opposed to let me try and shoot for this big old, you know, wide open. It's, it's, it's find a, a really small part that I'm trying to get the ball to. I was like, yeah, man. But it made me think of the Patriot because every time I think of aim small, miss small, which is advice I've used at the range to give advice to people that I'm, that I'm, you know, working with at at the range and say that to Angela all the time and some other people I've gone with, you know, aim small, miss small. Don't just see the big square target and shoot at it randomly. Find a, just get real precise with exactly where you're aiming for and try to aim there. Cause if you miss, you're still in the tart, you're still in the zone. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Mel Gibson had good. so many good uh, battle scenes in so his many, movie yeah. career. He's been so in a ton of great ones. movies. He really has, yeah. he but has. that was a, that was a great, that was a great movie in my opinion, big fan of the Patriot. And you know me, Ryan, you know, there's a lot of reasons why that was a, 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 one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Next question, which is a super chat from Wicked Bronco Productions. Thank you again. Appreciate it very much. 
since Brian is my fellow Broncos bro, uh-oh, off the topic, but do you think Russell Wilson gets better this year? He better not make Mike McGlinchey look bad, LOL, hashtag Judy season. I mean, he can't get worse, right? I mean, could he Baseball be worse than he was last year? Last year? <laughs> I, I mean, no, I think he'll be better. Is he going to look like vintage Russ Wilson next year? I don't expect that, no. But yeah. will he be better than he was last year? Sure. Number one, you have a far better offensive coach now, number one. Yes. Far better. The <laughs> offensive line is certainly upgraded. Like, oh, Mike McGlinchey, I, I don't care what Mike McGlinchey is getting paid. He may be getting paid more than he should for where he ranks among the NFL's right tackles, but he's still a major upgrade over what they had. Yeah. Then Powers is an upgrade. Your young centers, your young centers that are in competition are all going to be a year older. You've got a lot of weapons to throw to, and hopefully Cortland Sutton can finally be healthy. Love Javante yes. Williams as a, run, a young running back. Uh, you know, they got Samaje, Samaje P. Ryan, and, and I forget who the other guy they signed is kind of depth at running back. So I think they're going to be fine there. I th- and you're going to have a good coach. And this coach has come in and kind of gotten rid of a lot of the stuff that was going on that made Russell a very unpopular locker room figure. He's pretty much just gotten that. You're not going to have your own office, bro. Your office right. is down there. Private quarterback coach in the building. Right, right. No, I don't know who the heck that guy is, but he ain't coming here. He doesn't work for us, right? Yes, so I think yeah. a lot of that stuff is going to – you know, do I think Russell did it because he was trying to be a, a jerk? No. Do I think Russell has gotten a little bit too big time for himself? Yes, I do think he's gotten a little bit too that big times. time. And yeah. and I think that this is something he needs a coach to kind of bring him down. And I think he's going to receive that well. And his teammates are going to receive that well. And that's going to help him too. I mean, if you look at the way he finished the season, he finished the season pretty well. You know, he, a couple of his last games I thought were were were, were pretty good. I'm going to have to go go look at him because you know again i don't i don't watch a lot of nfo football but if i remember correctly they had a couple really nice offensive performances down the stretch last season let me just go look at that yeah yeah last game of the year they beat the chargers he you know 283 yards three touchdowns so yeah i mean you know he had three touchdowns and a close loss at kansas city so him he got better which came right after he was absolutely abysmal in a blowout loss of the rams but yes. uh oh, that, that Rams game yeah. was weird, man. That was one of the weirdest games ever because the Rams were a bad team last year, too. So awful. it was just like, huh, yeah. that's that's interesting. Yeah, I, I'll good. say this about Russ. And I, I think she think the Broncos are going to be one of like the big turnaround teams this year. Like, I'm not saying like Super Bowl contender, sure. but like I can see them sneaking in a playoff berth because like they always have a good defense. Right. And now they will actually have an offensive identity. So they should right. be a lot better. A whole and lot they, better. they were terrible last year, Ryan. They have upgraded their roster to a degree. I like some of their draft picks. But here's the thing, man. They lost by one point at Seattle. They lost in a, a t- three games in overtime. They lost by a touchdown to Tennessee. They lost by one point to Baltimore. They lost by six points to Kansas City, three points to Kansas City. So it's not like they were – the Rams game was a bit of an anomaly. Yes. Their, their, their most convincing losses after that, they had a 13-point loss to Carolina, which is hard to figure out, and then a nine-point loss to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's – every other game they had, they were in every other game they had except for those, like, really three games. Yep. So you hope that the improvement in coaching, I'm not sure how to feel about Vance Joseph as the D coordinator. I just don't know a lot about what he does as a defensive coordinator. Meaning, so that's they're, where, when I say I don't gonna, know how to feel about it, I just don't know. I, I have, I haven't followed. I know he's not a very, very good head coach. aggressive, very aggressive. Yeah. He wasn't a very good, good head coach, but, but you know, yeah. so we'll see. I just don't know a lot about what he does, Ryan. You would know more than, about that than what I do. So I don't know about that, but I mean, it just, like I said, it just can't be worse than what it was. The last you, you know, you know, you're, uh, you know, you're, you know, the, kind of how you're scared that Al Golden might go like blitz yeah. happy this year for Notre Dame. That's Vance Joseph. That's Vance Joseph. 
That's Vance Joseph. Yeah. Great. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Ugh. He's gonna leave, he's gonna leave corners on an island. He's gonna blitz his butt off, man. That well, at least they have Patrick Sertan, Sertan, who can you know do that pretty well. So I yes. don't know about the rest of their corners, but yeah. Another super chat from Wicked Broncos Production. Thank you so much again. Also, gotta love the draft picks we got, Brian. We ha- um, they had Sanders, Drew Sanders from Arkansas, best linebacker in my opinion in the third round, and Marvin Mims to replace KJ Hamler. I really like. More importantly. Does Sam Hartman paint his nails FUSC? <laughs> he better not. He better not. Because here's my thing. If something's classless when it's done to your team, it's classless when you do it to someone else. Yeah, you can't reciprocate it. No. Like, two wrongs don't no. make a right, you know? <laughs> no, I'm I'm not into that, right? I mean, yeah. I just, yeah, I I would hope that he wouldn't do that. Really yep. would hope he wouldn't do that. And I, and I highly doubt that Marcus Freeman would allow that. Highly I doubt agree. that. I highly doubt that he's got way too much class. I mean, a good coach is not a Nick Saban would never allow that in my opinion. Yeah. Kirby he would Smart show, would never allow that in my Mar- opinion. Marcus Freeman strikes me as like, if, if he saw it in like pre and like warm ups and stuff that he had the thing on, he'd be like, dude, you better go back to locker room right now and scrub yeah. that off. Like get out. Yeah. No, absolutely yeah. not. Oh, it won't come off. Hey, Call my wife. Tell her to bring her nail polish down here because we're painting. You're yeah. gonna have you're gonna have fingernail polish on your nails. L- for this looks game. like you're wearing gloves for the first time <laughs> in your career, sir. You're not taking them off. <laughs> yeah, just it just it just to me it just it's one of the many reasons why I don't like Lincoln Riley. Caleb Williams is a sophomore. He's probably 19 years old last year, right? Yeah. I mean, it was a dumb, immature thing to do. But at some point in time, he's wrong, no doubt. I'm not one of those people that like takes blame off of a 19-year-old. 19 19-year-old should be smart enough to know that, especially when you hear all the things you hear about who Caleb Williams is and these other – you hear all these mature things about him. He's giving his NIO money to this charity and helping his yeah. teammates out. And do, you're all these great things about him, and then he does that. And you're like, that was just stupid and immature, and there's more people that are going to talk about that than all the philanthropic things that you're doing that are amazing for a kid that's your age. You're using and, your name and actually like winning to make the a football game. Like, yes. Just, yeah. <laughs> using his platform to do good for society. I love that kind of stuff. But then you ruined it all in a lot of people's minds because you put F Notre Dame and F Utah on there. And if you're going to do that, you better freaking win. You better not go get your butt kicked in the Pac-12 title game when you do that. But at the end of the day, where's your freaking grown-up head coach? Right. Where, where, where is he? You're Lincoln Riley's with the quarterbacks almost all pregame. You're telling me he didn't see that? Shut up. Yes, you did. But yeah, you're just as not, much of it. You're a child. And that's what, one of the reasons I don't like Lincoln Riley. I think he's very immature. And I have a hard time rooting for him because he's more of a, we're going to do whatever we need to do to win. We'll lie. We'll cheat. We'll steal. We'll do all of that to win. And I have no, I have no respect for that. That's one of those times where, yes, Caleb was going to do something. Because he, in Caleb's mind, it's, it's motivating him. It's sure. something he's doing to motivate himself. I don't think he was thinking like, oh, I'm going to disrespect them. I think it was, this yeah. is going to motivate me to go beat my rival. Right. You know? Like, like he wasn't coach, trying to humiliate them. He I don't think so. To, I don't think he was yeah. trying to be a, a clown. I think he just was, that's something you do to, you know, motivate yourself, I, I think. Because it's so out of character with everything else we hear about Caleb Williams as a young man. It just was so out of character of that. Yeah. At what point does your head coach and the adult in the room step in and say, no, nah, man, I know what you're trying to do, but we ain't doing that. No, but right. we're not doing yeah. that. And then you allow him to do it the next week. That tells me you didn't even go in after the fact. If you were to say for a second, let's just give Lincoln Rye the benefit of the doubt. And he didn't know he was doing it until I know that you knew that the next week and you still let him go do it against Utah, which tells me you had no problem with it, which makes you the clown, not him. 
You're and the clown. And it's your program as the head coach. Exactly. It's not, it's not Caleb Williams' team. Well, exactly. it's not Caleb Williams' program. No, it's not. Program. He's still the it's head football like coach. He's program. just the quarterback. He'll be gone in yeah. a year, and, and it's still your program. And so that's yeah. just – I what little respect I had for Lincoln Riley coming into the year as a person, and it wasn't much. Uh, it's all gone now. I mean, all gone at this point in time. I have zero respect for that man. None. None at all. All right, we do have some more we, super we, chats. We, right? we didn't we didn't talk about the draft though, man. He liked the, he liked the Drew Sanders pick. He liked the Marvin Mims. I, I pick. saw I saw somebody Ryan uh, the other day that had the Broncos as like one of the seventh or eighth in the in in the draft. Right when they they ranked the classes as far as like yeah. success, like you know, I think it was part of it was like, uh, you know, it was built on um, um, sort of like. I don't know, per capita type of thing, like, but like um, value chart or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I had no problem. I, I liked their draft and they only had five guys. I liked Marvin Mims in the in the second round. I'm a big Marvin Mims fan. Late second I mean, round too. He's yeah. a really nice complimentary player. You know, he's not a number one, may not even be a number two, but he's a really he's nice. He's not going to have to be on the Broncos. Exactly, either. exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I love the Drew Sanders pick. That's great value there because you're talking about the best athlete at line. I don't think he's the best linebacker in the draft, but I think he's the best athlete at linebacker in the draft, in my opinion. And, you know, he brings some – and to your point, Ryan, what was the knock that you have on, on Drew Sanders, right? Because you've watched him a ton more than I have. Yeah. You know, not always the most instinctive guy, still learning to be an inside linebacker. Well, to your what you just explained to me, what's he going to be doing a lot of for the Broncos? It's going to be blitzing, man. Blitzing. Blitzing a lot. Yeah. So that's going to be right up his alley. Probably from a bunch of different spots, too. Exactly. It's going to be right up his alley. So he's like the perfect weapon to give a coach that wants to blitz a lot. I really like the Riley Moss pick because I think they're going to probably move him to safety from what I read, which I think will fit his – he's really fast and he's really instinctive, but he's a little tight-hipped. So to me, he's probably more of an, uh, a safety. To me, I could be wrong. Maybe a nickel type of guy. Um, and then you got that big old joker from Boise State, man. Jail Skinner's a big dude. You know, Alex Forsythe gives you some depth. Jail you know. Skinner was one of the biggest values of the draft because that kid was going to go top three rounds, but then the medicals hit him this offseason yeah. and he just fell in the draft. So he's a good player, man. Yeah. Player. He's like, what, 6'4", 210-pound safety? You yeah, know? he's basically the same size as Hamilton, a little yeah. bit, a little bit skinnier, yeah. but basically the same so size. They yeah. didn't add a lot, of, and Alex Forsyth probably is not going to make the team. Practice squad guy, probably. Yeah. I mean, you got plenty yeah. of centers, but you know those four guys you hit on are guys that could be pretty good players to some to some degree. So I'm good with it. I just didn't love the fact they gave up so many of their picks. Yeah. But this is the draft to do it, Ryan. To your point, this wasn't a great draft. So if you're going to give up two first round picks, because at one point in time the Broncos could have had two first round picks. Yeah. in the draft. They gave one away for Russell Wilson and one away for Sean Payton. You know, so I wouldn't have mind sitting there at 29 and been able to draft Michael Mayer, but hey, it is what it is. You know, I'm just glad the Broncos yeah. finally have a, a Notre Dame guy on their team. I'm, at, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, if you have limited picks, you need to find value, and I think that the Broncos found several value picks in that draft, so agree.